Welcome to Living the Questions, a podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. Thank you for joining us. Here on Living the Questions, we wrestle. We wrestle with life's dilemmas, we wrestle with current events, and we wrestle with what it means to live lives of integrity. We hope that you find some community, some comfort, and some hope in this time together. To learn more about our congregation, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. Welcome, friends, to our podcast for this week. This week, we are diving into the question, how do science fiction and fantasy stories help us live better in this reality? How do these narratives, um, whether they be in books or movies or short stories, how do they help us live better in the world we've got? And this is such a juicy episode. Oh my goodness, we have incredible guests. Um, the Reverends Elizabeth Mount, Elizabeth Bukey, and Megan Roburn. And so I'm just going to have us dive right in. Um, hi, I'm Elizabeth Mount, and I am the minister at the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania, which is in Pennsylvania. The town is Indiana, just to be clear. Um, and I've been serving there for about a year and a half. And I'm also a big nerd and a fan of science fiction and fantasy novels. So, well, <laughs> marvelous. Those are the qualifications we were looking for. Um, so, Elizabeth, maybe uh, if you could just talk a little bit about some connections that you see between what's happening right now in our country, thinking about, you know, kind of all of the movement from both like leading up to January 6th and the mob at the U.S. Capitol, um, and then kind of what has ensued after that, and um, just like how you see um, science fiction and fantasy narratives kind of informing your understanding or your interpretations of, of what's happening? Yeah. Um, so it, it's been kind of fascinating to watch all of this. Um, I think people tend to see like the big events, the insurrection um, as these isolated bubbles as like things that happened. Um, and actually we're looking at a very long-term trajectory. And I think it's useful to contextualize those and place them back into their context as part of the progression of fascism, which has been on the rise since the 1920s. Uh, in the United States, along with the eugenics movement, which for a time was at the forefront of science fiction writing um, and was seen as a next step in progress potentially for human civilization. And when we start looking at these as sort of outbreaks of what are actually longer term trends, I think especially science fiction can help us to decide what futures we're aiming at from where we are right now. Um, so yeah. for me, yeah, for me, January 6th was just one more moment in white supremacist organizing in choices that the FBI and our policing systems have been making about which groups of potential violent folks are and aren't worth doing surveillance of. Um, there, there are larger societal problems that are cropping up there. Yeah, well, and, well, it's so interesting to hear you talk about sort of that, like the eugenics movement and its relationship with science fiction and with this sort of, and with fascism. And also, I mean, I feel like since this is a, a podcast, 
primarily directed for Unitarian Universalists, like to talk about the ways that our religious ancestors were not always on what we would call the right side of the eugenics movement. Um, yes, yeah, Clarence Skinner, the universalist who was all about like the social gospel, the need for social reform and universalism was mm -hmm. also a eugenicist and thought that he was doing the right thing by keeping undesirable people from breeding, encouraging them not to perpetuate their genes on society. It's yeah, yeah, that's well, and uh, so, but and in some ways, but I think it's helpful to think about the moment we're in as part of this actually much longer, you know, multi-book arc, um, if you will. And so thinking about, you know, your point about mm -hmm. science fiction helps us know which futures we want to point ourselves to. I'm curious if there are, um, books or authors or characters who you feel like are informing your sense of the futures we might point ourselves to um given where we are in the in sort of the narrative arc of fascism in the united states yeah um so ones that i really look at as sort of cautionary tales of the moment um i would put margaret atwood um that after the flood and that whole mad adam trilogy um has some real good things to say to us about using technology in ever advancing ways to solve problems um octavia butler is an obvious one parable of the sower is an incredibly prescient uh piece of dystopia for this moment um, but then I would turn to some of the recent story collections. Um, there's one called Octavia's Brood that has rapidly become classic. There's a more recent one called Yet She Persisted that is a collection of short stories that were really created in response to that moment of like, can women can people of other genders other races than those that are currently privileged continue to persist and what happens if and when they do um so some of those are ones that i've been looking at recently yeah no and maybe to kind of to round out our current events segment um what is if you could invite people who are listening to take one action um, to combat fascism in their communities what would what would you have us do oh that's such a fascinating question because i think i think when we think about take one action people think of like go to an event, join a particular organization, write a letter to a congressman. Um, I'm actually gonna say the thing that I would want people to do is examine their reading habits and Ooh. make a commitment. Make a commitment that if you are reading 50% or more white, male authors that you will significantly change your reading habits and intentionally include women people of color non-binary and trans authors in the coming year as more than 50 percent of what you read that's such a that's such a perfect invitation um and i think that and and right one that um is available to to all of us, no matter how COVID uh, precautious we're being. So, well, thank yeah. you, Elizabeth. I'm really grateful for your time. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to explain why I'm saying the reading habits thing, because yeah. often are are like, well, how does just reading fiction help? Um, but it turns out that there is actually not just a correlation, but a causal link between empathy and what we read. 
And that in fact, intentionally reading things where the main character is different from you builds your imagination in a way that creates empathy for people who are diverse and different from yourself. And that feeds into social policy, it feeds into our politics, it feeds into our religious imagination. You can't have communities that you can't dream of. Mm. Well, I'm always so grateful when I get to talk to my amazingly smart and thoughtful and just awesome colleagues, so thank you. Yeah, for sure. It's really good getting to chat with you. So there are lots of ways that we could ground this question about science fiction and fantasy narratives um, in our Unitarian Universalist history and identity. Um, But I want to lift up uh, one particular Unitarian for uh, us this week, and that is Rod Serling. And for those of you who don't know, Rod Serling is the writer and producer, director, all-around sort of entertainment mind um, behind The Twilight Zone. And for those of you who don't know, Rod Serling was a Unitarian. He was a a member of congregations um, in uh, Ohio where he met his wife and they got married um, at Antioch College, and then also in Santa Monica where he lived later in his life. Um, And, you know, I think that uh, the first time that it happened um, that we watched The Twilight Zone in my high school youth group at a a Unitarian church, you know, I think part of me was like, why are we watching The Twilight Zone? Like, what? Oh, it was old TV. I don't know. But um, it sort of became clear as we watched and started talking about it that um, The Twilight Zone was a theological text. It was a theological text. It was an opportunity to explore um, how human beings try to figure out how to live together. And Rod Serling asked these questions um, by sort of proposing them in this alternate space, this alternate universe, the Twilight Zone. Um, But the questions that he was asking were very, very relevant to the world that all of us were living in. Um, And I think it's really amazing how he was able to um, sort of use that alternate universe as a way to help people grapple with those questions differently and be willing to see and understand things in a way that they might not have in a story that's sort of set in our reality. Um, But getting out of our own sort of day-to-day helps, or at least it helped me, see some of these messages and grapple with these questions differently um, than if it had just been a, you know, a story set in our day and time. And so um, as we wrestle with this question about and wonder about this question about fantasy and sci-fi narratives and and the lessons they can teach us... Um, I think about the invitation to get out of this reality and in doing so, um, gain new insight into it. And so for that, I will thank Unitarian Rod Serling. So welcome to this week's podcast and, uh, We are going to hear from two amazing guests, and I will invite them to introduce themselves in a moment. And if you could just tell us your name uh, and where you do ministry, and then a touchstone. So a character, a series, a movie, a book, whatever it is, a touchstone for you in fantasy, sci-fi, speculative fiction. Um, Yeah, go for it. Uh, I am the Reverend Megan Roburn. I serve our congregation in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And uh, the first touchstone that comes to my mind is Princess Leia Organa, uh, who later becomes General Leia Organa in the Star Wars, I guess it's a franchise. I used to 
call it a mythology, but that's a topic for another thing. <laughs> EB? Yeah, um, and I'm Elizabeth Fuki or EB, um, and I serve the uh, Unitarian Universalist Church in Jamaica Plain in Boston. And um, one of the, I just, I love a lot of speculative fiction, but something I go back to is the uh, Wayfarers series, um, the, A Closed and Common Orbit, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet and Record of a Spaceborn Few by Becky Chambers. And um, it's a sci-fi set in the future where humanity has basically like succeeded in making a mess of the earth and um, lives in a like a, a galactic commons of many other species and is sort of this side boring little marginal species and there's some really interesting things about that universe so yeah beautiful um so the kind of like the question that I'm inviting folks to explore this week is uh, how our relationships with these sci-fi and fantasy and speculative narratives help us live better in this reality. So I think what I would love to begin with um, is if you could talk about a time that you have been driven to take an action in this reality and that that action or that decision has been grounded in some learning from um, a fictional narrative. I think that one way that speculative fiction and science fiction has helped me in the pandemic is um, recognizing the importance of change. And it's sort of everyone is obsessed with Octavia Butler and the parable of the sower and Adrienne Marie Brown does a lot of work with that. Um, so we should all just like listen to her talk about it. And, um, you know, one of the like key messages is like when your life and your world feels like it's falling apart, what you shouldn't do is resist that reality. You should move with it and try to shape your response to it. Um, and so I think that was really helpful in at the very beginning of the pandemic and just telling myself to like, okay, this is what's happening now. And now we're shifting to online worship and um, that. And then also um, even a couple of years back, I had a, a really big uh, disaster in my personal life where my uh, apartment was full of mold and uh, like I had to move out into a hotel. And then while I was in the hotel, the hotel parking lot flooded and uh, flooded my car. My car was um, flooded up to its door handles and totaled. So I lost like all of my stuff, my place to live and my car in the space of like 48 hours. And um, I think having started thinking about my relationship to change and that like, I'm really into post-apocalyptic and um, that kind of fiction. And it's always like the person who's in denial about what's going on, who like gets eaten by the zombies first or um, doesn't end up surviving. And so I think it was helpful for me to be like, okay, this is what has happened. And I'm going to mourn it and, and then go forward rather than sort of sitting in, in denial. And then as I've like made meaning out of that experience, that frame has been really helpful. Yeah, I actually, I remember when that happened to you, Evie. I, I just, oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was, um, it was special. <laughs> so I, I feel like as somebody who has had extreme nerditude for her entire life, that like I could just spout examples all morning. Um, the one that keeps coming back the strongest for me though is, um, is Tamara Pierce's Song of the Lioness Quartet. Um, and the, the main character, Alana, is it's a, it's a pseudo medieval high fantasy setting. Um, no dragons, unfortunately, but you know, books can't all be perfect. Um, and she has a twin brother and her, she's being sent to court to learn how to be a lady. And her brother is, uh, 
being, oh no, actually it's the other way around. She's being sent to a convent uh, to, to be a nun and her brother is being sent to court to be a knight and on the way they switch places. And so she goes to court disguised as a boy and he goes to the convent where they accept boys to teach them magic. And the story is so powerful for me because the, the books span Alana becoming a, a young adult. So from like age 11 to young adult, and she is allowed in this story to be angry and to explore what it means to be violent, to be a warrior. How do you discern when is it, when is it acceptable to cause violence and what are the norms? But for me, you know, as, as, as somebody who's living in a world that is just seeped in patriarchy and white supremacy culture, even though I didn't have names for it when I was first reading them as a child, but I knew that people were telling me to be something that was not the fullness of me and my identity. Um, and so reading these books, right? I, for me, speculative fiction and fantasy and science fiction and space opera, they provide us a world that's not bound by these constructs that we have in our reality. And so, you know, by this book series and Alana showing me something else is possible. And she navigates her teenagerhood and young adulthood and, and learns that she is actually a really good healer. Um, and unlike Eowyn in Lord of the Rings, who actually gives up the life of a warrior to become a healer full time. Um, and I love Eowyn, don't get me wrong, but I struggle with that decision. <laughs> um, Alana, finds a balance between the two. She finds a way to fight for what she believes in and also be somebody who heals the world, that there is a way to be both and to do it while not um, suppressing your emotions by allowing your emotions to be real and palpable. Um, and, and she's also allowed to be a sexual being. Um, which, you know, is, uh, there, there is enough kind of YA and stuff that explores that, but it's usually like the first one that they meet, right? And you know the trope that that's gonna be the person they connect with. Alana is allowed to have a whole life of, of having romantic and sexual relationships. Um, so yeah, it, it, I wish I could point to a specific example of how those books changed me, but they they became such uh, they became such a thing for me in shaking off what the culture I was embedded in was putting on me. Um, and you know, I could say similar things about Princess Leia and women can be leaders. Um, but in terms of of shaking off, especially that women can be powerful and angry and not be villains, right? That came from Alana. I don't know if I have anything actually better than better to say about Tamara Pierce, except for that she's just like, a, she's a good example of a little bit of a side note. She's just a good example of a, of a, an author who grows and like learns and you can see her uh, like exploring uh, queer identity and trans identity and like what, you know, what systems are just and you know, who, who is a, a valid hero and, and all of that sort of evolve over, over her writing, but that's less about the sci-fi part or the fantasy part of her, um, her life. I think, I know that Tamara Pierce was a, because she has a story of, particularly the Alana series, her, her story of this um, girl oh, who spends so much of her, like basically her entire adolescence dressed as a, as a boy has been a touchstone for queer people and some trans people that I know in um, embracing their identities and understanding that um, we aren't, we don't have to be limited by the gender roles that our society puts on us. So 
and she was just very early, right? Like she, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that stuff out there now. And I'm, so I'm 37 and we, you know, when I was in, when I was 11, 12, that she was very early. And so she was a sort of a pioneer in making those spaces possible. Yeah. Well, I feel yeah. like both of you, I'm curious to hear from both of you a little bit about sort of that, like queer and gender piece in these genres, because I think that there, um, I should say, I think my experience is that there is a, like, in the queer community, there is this strong affinity for authors and characters um, who, like E.B. said, right, were sort of transformative in our adolescence in terms of whether it's like, you know, your sort of chronological adolescence or your spiritual adolescence um, in terms of helping, like Megan said, shake off some of those those tropes that society was trying to teach us and instead get to try on new tropes um, Mm -hmm. from the books. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot about, um, I think a lot about fan culture and transformative works, right? The archive of our our own and and how much, you know, Tamara Pierce, you know, I'm 41, so I'm in the same kind of age. And th- like this, this was it uh, on the shelves, right? And when you're when you're 10 or 11, and in the 90s, of course, there's not the huge access on the internet for own voices in the queer culture. So for a long time, we were limited to what uh, to what the media conglomerates were willing to invest money in, which, as we know, is huge gatekeeping um, for marginalized. Uh, marginalized identities and, and marginalized people, not just queer folks, but you know, black voices, indigenous voices. Um, and so having that, and, and in so many, you know, the, the, the girl dressing as a boy is a fairly common trope, but there's something about the way in the Song of the Lioness where Alana is is really exploring in the text how she feels about the fact that she's more comfortable in you know the page boy clothes but she encounters you know times when she does put on a dress and it makes her feel something very different and and she's learns to kind of love it and so this way of navigating, constructing your own self and then being willing to fight for it and defend it as opposed to just playing a role or, or pretending, right? She carves a way into which she can wear whatever she wants and still be Alana. Um, and that, that was not something I had encountered anywhere else uh, in my childhood and even into my young adulthood. And, and there's a, there's a lot more of it now, um, because, you know, our, as we, as we connected and, and came together in these communities, we were able to speak up and fight for publishers to publish and put books on bookshelves. Um, but I, I don't think that you can underestimate the power of people writing their own stories through fan fiction. Um, or, or through other independent sharing means that are not necessarily linked to either traditional publishing or self-publishing, right? The, yes. the act of writing your own story and the way that speculative fiction and these other genres allow for, for real uh, experimentation and exploration of what matters and what's just the stuff that's been put on top of us, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to say that the book series that I brought up as a touchstone for me by Becky Chambers, I, yes. I she actually started out as writing fanfic, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I think that her first book in that series may have started out in a sort of fanfic uh, place. And so she's actually very, she has FAQ on her website. That's like, can I write fanfic or make fan art about your characters? And she's like, yes, absolutely. I started out in that space. I love it. Um, she ran some contests for, you know, depicting what her characters look like. And I really, um, I don't know. I really appreciate that about her. Um, yeah. 
No, I was going to say, I, at one point in, I think in like middle school, I was talking to a friend that, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes I just like make up my own stories about Harry Potter. And she was like, yeah, the internet is full of that. And I was like, no, 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 but you don't understand. It's like there, it's like in that world, but it's like my story. She was like, yeah, it's called fan fiction, Hannah. <laughs> and it's all over the internet. And I was just like, well, that is both good news and I feel less special right now. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. So, I mean, I think that that, I'm curious to hear, um, right, since both of you are not only great fans of sci-fi and fantasy and speculative fiction, um, but also Unitarian Universalist ministers. So I think I'm curious mm. to hear you talk about how, how or if these narratives and characters have shaped um, your theology or your, you know, how you make meaning out of this reality, you know, such as it is. I mean, just, just from a practical, like, just from a sort of thematic standpoint, I've preached about science fiction, speculative fiction, post-apocalyptic things directly a couple of times. And I have a number of nerds in the congregation who really uh, are enjoying that with me. Um, I, I think what's most salient or like what's most up right now is about hope. Mm. And there's something, so I, I've really, I've liked post, I was in an apocalypse book club um, a couple years ago with some friends and colleagues of mine and um, that it got interrupted because now we're having an actual apocalypse. Um, but uh, there's something about post-apocalyptic and some sci-fi that's very hopeful to me and mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I serve and certainly myself as well like I, I really struggle with hope and despair in this moment in the pandemic in the climate crisis in you know, the rise of white supremacist fascism and all, all of the things that we've been living through and some of these um, stories of humanity living post-apocalypse are just so hopeful because it's something horrible has happened and we're still here. Um, so um, one of my favorite books is Station Eleven where it's a little bit too on the nose. There's been a huge flu pandemic and mm. a lot of people have like 99% of humanity has died and and it's a fascinating story. And one thing I love about it is that just, you know, people's lives go on. Um, they make art and they live in community and community is annoying. And there's just something so hopeful about being like, yeah, even if we live through a terrible trauma, we're just still gonna be people and we're gonna be in community and we're gonna make art and we're gonna be annoying and that's gonna be okay. Or in the Wayfarer series, you know, the earth becomes uninhabitable and it takes place many centuries in the future when what we've done is melted down all of our cities and built generational ships and constructed a, some of humanity has constructed a society that lives on these spaceships and really values recycling, reusing, living in a closed system and there's um and models that for the rest of the galactic commons universe and you know when i'm in moments of despair about the climate for example i think like okay well maybe we burn everything down and then maybe we live in generational ships in space where we have really good values about um taking care of one another and living in an egalitarian way and not wasting anything. Um, so this sort of science fiction post-apocalypse as a message from the from a possible future, um, that's something I've really been thinking a lot about. It actually comes up in um, the work of Joanna Macy around 
um, climate crisis and grief and loving the world, one of the exercises is to, to tell a story as if it's from the future when we've um, solved the climate crisis or like, you know, been, been resilient and sort of imagine how we get there. Um, that you've also probably seen some of this in um, things that have come out about the Green New Deal. There's a little, I mean, it's almost a political ad, but it's a, it made me cry because it's like, this is how we implemented the Green New Deal and we solved climate change and it was beautiful. It's with um, AOC. And you, I preached about that actually last, last week with a message from the future of our church. And just because it gets, it, you know, I think the imagination gets us in the space where we can start thinking more things are possible rather than getting stuck in when we're in a crisis and we're in our little like fear, panic, lizard brain mode. Um, it's just so hard to see more possibilities. And mm -hmm. there's like, there's many very wise, um, especially black women, women of color who have written wise things about imagination and art. Um, so I, it's not my idea to come up with that, but it's been really helpful. Okay. That, that was like a whole sermon. <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Do, do, do. Do, do. It was great. Um, yeah. So for me, it is, it is so deeply tied in. For, so for me, speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy, are are a cornerstone of making meaning um and I, i'm i'm gonna get a little academic here so forgive me um but there is uh to me it's so first of all i think one of the things that defines us as human beings is that we tell stories um you know we we our um james luther adams right uh, the quote of his that I use constantly is church is where we practice what it means to be human. And part of practicing how to be human is telling each other stories of our past, telling each other stories of what might be possible, and then making decisions in relationship with each other about what actual choices are we going to make in our lives in the here and now. Um, and, you know, you brought that up at the beginning, Hannah, when you asked each of us, how has one of these stories had you make a change or a decision in your life, right? Um, one of the reasons I am a Unitarian Universalist and not some other tradition or denomination is because we take all stories that give us meaning as valuable and as worthy of lifting up in our congregational spaces, right? We don't just have this one set of texts. Um, and, um, and so for me, it's how are we as a community curating the stories that teach us how or show us a way to be better people. And for me in particular, um, you know, I, I, one of the authors that I studied a lot in seminary was Judith Butler, and I was absolutely fascinated by her concept of the law, which is the, the construct of the water that you're swimming in and how it is pretty much impossible to truly deconstruct or understand the law while you're in it. And that we as humans have no way to move ourselves outside of the law. Um, and for me, um, even, even though the stories we tell and the speculative side are still manifested out of the law, they do provide a window of sorts that we can maybe crawl out of for a time. And in this other space, we can use this space that's not bound by the law that we are existing in to, to say what else is possible, which then gets me into appreciative inquiry, right? Which is what is working? What could be possible? What do we agree is worth making possible and real? and then agreeing that we're human beings and we're powerful and we're gonna make it happen, right? So appreciative inquiry is applied to all sorts of things. And if we can, and this leads me to like hope punk and hope, which EB already brought up. If, if we are telling stories of hope and resilience 
then it becomes possible in our creative imaginations. And then, it, and then we can turn it into, okay, how can we make that a reality that doesn't exist yet? Um, which for me is, is one of the essences of our Unitarian Universe's seven principles, right? We covenant to affirm and promote. They're not doctrines, they're not dogmas, they're not creedal statements. They are, these are the things that we are agreeing that we want to make manifest in the world. I, I can't think of something more speculative and powerful than that. A commitment of thousands of people saying, we want to make this real for everyone, all of us. I love that like makes uh, what you said about that being, I can't think of anything more speculative than that. And yeah. that um, I had been talking I've had uh, the quotes on my mind from, I think it's um, Walida Imarisha, all organizing is science fiction. Mm -hmm. um, yes, exactly. Uh, you know, she's like, all of these things we want in the world, like prison abolition, um, you know, the end of poverty, like that's science fiction that doesn't exist. And so sci-fi mm -hmm. is the way to, I think we've done a lot of the same reading, Megan, but like yep. <laughs> that's a way to get there. And I hadn't think, but like, and then I also separately say to my congregants that Unitarian Universalism, you could think of it as an experiment in let's organize our religious community around shared values rather than shared um, doctrine. Mm -hmm. And that that's an ongoing experiment. And it's not, we, you know, we, we don't know if that's a if that's a successful experiment always. Mm -hmm. So I love saying mm -hmm. like, it's, yeah, we're, we're speculating our way into that. Yeah. No, yeah, that's not and, like, and, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Megan, go ahead. <laughs> you all yeah, have absolutely. so many smart things to say that are vastly smarter <laughs> than anything that I have to say. So I'm just gonna well, and shut so my this, mouth. <laughs> this for me is, is, is my frustration with how storytelling has shifted over the millennia from the community organizing manifesting into being a capitalist media conglomerate source of income, right? Um, so aside from the from the gatekeeping of who gets their who gets their voices printed and put on your local bookshelf. Um, but but when the when a capitalist entity gets a hold of something copywritten, they then control the narrative. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally holding myself back from my usual tirade, but um, Star Wars has, has been destroyed by a media entity who chose a narrative of, of sexism and, uh, and punishment. And I mean, I, I could go on, but what I'm going to say is that the, the, the multiple decade mythology and storytelling that was always about resistance and hope and compassion and you can change your future and you do it with other people, um, you know, ended up um, killing every avatar of hope that they've had in the entire franchise in the last movie. Uh, yeah. including the person who had been set up for the redemption arc and in fact finally had the courage to make the right decision and then they killed him anyway right i'm talking about ben solo and uh and you know the and cutting out characters of color or minimizing their character arcs to satisfy the incredibly loud uh racist very white centric people who felt that they owned that they owned these speculative fictional narratives that are supposed to be for everybody, right? And, and the corporations decided that those voices were more important to listen to than all of the people that had been brought in by the increased diversity and the increased welcoming and the, the idea that no, Star Wars is for everyone. Oh wait, no, we were kidding. Um, and so, the thing that I fear is when, is when as a community, we tell stories to 
enhance and perpetuate our own power, right? I think of I think of a lot of uh, I think of a lot of Christian congregations who really corrupt uh, the intent of Christian scripture and use it to harm and traumatize people. Um, you know, so there has there has to come uh, a sense of of how and why do we tell the stories, right? So like we have our seven principles, which are our guiding kind of things. How are we telling the stories is just as important as the stories themselves, right? And I think- um, Yeah, go ahead, Evie. Oh, like who tells the story as well? Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I, I think if, if someone was listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, I should just get into, I should really get into science fiction or speculative fiction because it's all so liberatory. You know, there's a lot of really shitty, there's a lot of really uh, patriarchal white nonsense in speculative fiction. So I think- So much. uh, (laughs) Ready player one, ready player two. Yeah. Just right off the top of my head. (laughs) And like, so it just, it matters. Like, let's pay attention. Someone really wise- I think it might've been like Reverend Jackie Lewis from middle collegiate church said something about, we just really pay attention to who you're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly like a person who like soothes myself by going back and reading books from my childhood. Like that's awesome. And also I just basically have, I have no bandwidth for putting like patriarchal white nonsense science fiction into my system. Mm -hmm. So that's just like a buyer beware as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that there's the, um, you know, it's sort of what Megan talked about in the sense of like the, that there is this, the internet as a tool of fandom has done this democratization in some ways where it's Mm -hmm. like with fan fiction and creating communities and all this sorts of stuff. But it has also, then it also feeds into that sort of, um, like when it becomes a tool of organizing for ownership, I think in the case of, you know, looking at the Star Wars franchise and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you know, hashtag not all white dudes, but <laughs> white dudes like getting together on social media and deciding that like we need to like make Star Wars great again, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a there's, yes, there's yeah, and I and the ways that that parallels things happening in our country. Yeah, I mean, it's you know. W- in Star Wars right now, we're currently dealing with a, a very deliberate targeted attack on the one of the new hosts of the Star Wars show, who is a black woman who has lifted up the issues with white supremacy culture. And she is abs- she's being doxxed right now. And the Star Wars actual company made a statement saying they don't condone racism and that's all that they're doing. Right, and and they have the financial and legal means to do something legal about this deplatforming um, of these people, and they just they want to play both sides and not uh, and not have any sort of uh, moral backbone. Um, and this is not the first time, uh, right? The the racism that John Boyega experienced when he was first. Uh, revealed as a lead character in The Force Awakens. Um, I could even argue that in the last movie, his the character arc that had been building for him was totally sidelined to appease racists. Um, Kelly Marie Tran was harassed off of social media and Star Wars did nothing to protect one of their cast members. And then they, they wrote her out of the third movie, a major character um, in response to, to the racism because and it's that same thing of don't rock the boat, don't cause a fuss. Um, you know, women have heard that from men, uh, people of color and indigenous people hear that from white people all the time. It's that tone policing, it's the civility, right? Don't be your whole self in this story that we're creating to reinforce our sense of power. Um, and so, I do want to say that if if there is one piece of media for me that encapsulates 
how I approach storytelling. Um, it's actually the movie, ironically, from Disney, Tomorrowland uh, with George Clooney. Um, it's, it got middling reviews, but the crux of the story is that there's a feedback loop around how you tell a story and how it matters in changing the world. I don't want to spoil things, but it goes back to that appreciative inquiry that if you were if you are only focusing on the bad things, you will create people who are problems to be solved. And eventually you're so burned out that you don't wanna solve the problems anymore. And, um, and that if you're focusing on what works and how to make the world better, your, your focus determines your reality, which is unfortunately another Star Wars quote, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> We'll allow it. Yeah, and, and I also think of one of my favorite lines from The Last Jedi, which is a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece that will stand the test of time as one of the best movies ever made, regardless of whether or not it's Star Wars. But um, in it, Kelly Marie Tran's character Rose says, that's how we're going to win, not fighting what we hate, saving what we love. And I love it so much, I actually have it tattooed on my body as a constant reminder that what you're focusing on, what you're fighting for determines how you're acting in the world, right? And like that goes back to Alana in is how are you using your anger to, to make the world better as opposed to just being destructive, right? That kind of that righteous anger. Um, and I think of the um, you know, you talked earlier about the, the white, the not all dudes, of course, but the, the white dudes who are making Star Wars great again, they're, they're, they're trying to fight what they hate, right? Instead of saving what they love, which means they have to think about what they love and not just how they feel angry that, you know, they can't, when, when other diverse, diverse characters and voices are brought in, you have to think about maybe the white guy isn't the hero anymore. Yeah. And how do we help you deal with that in constructive ways instead of just being horrible to everybody else? Yeah. Well, I think an invitation to, um, to win by saving and fighting for what we love rather than trying to combat what we hate is a, an invitation that is ever more relevant. So thank you both so much, EB and Megan. Thank you, thank you. Um, and just a lot of gratitude for all of your wisdom. Well, thank you for inviting the conversation. Um, and I, I sure hope EB had to head out, um, but I hope that um, I hope that your folks enjoy this and, and it gets them thinking and uh, maybe, just maybe, they'll pick up a book or a movie that they weren't considering before. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Your presence matters to us. Whether you are here in Cheyenne or across the globe, we are grateful that you would spend this time with us. If you'd like to connect more with our community, you can visit our website at UUCheyenne. Org. I'm the Reverend Hannah Roberts Vilnave, and on behalf of a grateful community, thank you. We'll see you soon. <laughs>